0: Well, as I look out over you all this morning, it looks to me like you got the world by the tail. Everything's perfect in your lives. It's just going great. It's great with the kids. It's great at school. It's great at the workplace. Your body is like perfect. And uh, it's hunky-dory world. You couldn't be better if you tried. maybe two of you are feeling like that. (laughs) It may just be if you're not feeling exactly like that, that you're under some sort of fire because you're seeking to live for Christ. If you set out to live for God and prioritize what matters to Him, you will face resistance in your life. All designed to discourage you, cause you to cease your righteous actions. Because we all know that the Calvary Road is not an easy road. But it is the only road for those who love Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul was um, giving some pastoral advice to young Timothy, the young pastor, he said to him... In 2 Timothy 3.12, and indeed, all. You might want to circle that word in your Bible, 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some, all. And so for the next couple of weeks, I want to um, take you and continue to take you in the journey in Nehemiah. And we come to the place where the building project gets underway, but there are many, many many people opposing, much resistance, many obstacles. Some come from without. In fact, the majority or a lot of what we're going to talk about in the book of Nehemiah comes from without the community faith, but not all of it, even in this book. And of course, this doesn't surprise the student of the New Testament that we have struggles from with, uh, with, without, because in fact, when Jesus was teaching Nicodemus the Pharisee, In John chapter 3, he said this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. And he goes on to say, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Bible-based, Bible-backed reformers like you and me will always face a flurry of furious opposition to every step we take in the direction of righteousness in Christ. Because darkness does not want bad stuff to be uncovered. And even in the dark recesses of our own hearts, there are things that will resist reform. But there's also trouble from within. The comfort and convenience of custom is threatened whenever reform is dangled in front of our life. Because passion will always push passivity out of bed. And many, you see, in the Christian community have settled on some sort of neutral truce with the world that promotes just enough of Jesus to feel saved, but not too much of him to demand radical discipleship. There are numbers of us who have sort of settled into a spiritual Switzerland we want to remain neutral we don't want to be involved in the battle if there's a war going on we just want to stay undercover or outside of it well for those of you who understand the nature of Switzerland particularly in World War II, will know that it's also true that Switzerland would not have been safe for very long had the Nazis have won World War II. Neutrality is not an option. The goal isn't to feel saved or to hope you're saved. The goal is to be saved in Christ Jesus. That's why Christ himself said that This is how they will know that you are my disciples. That you are my disciples. So whether you um, join the war or try to ride it out, it's on. And there will be winners and losers. No neutral. You and your family will either sell out to the world or be sold out for Jesus Christ. So I think it's appropriate then, in light of that introduction, to get you ready to be sold out for Jesus, because that's what the book of Nehemiah is about. It's about being sold out for God. It's about being all in. It's about reform, battle ready. And in particular this morning, I want to look at just six verses in the chapter four of Nehemiah in the area of opposition by ridicule. Ridicule can erode your passion for Christ. Day in and day out, some of us live with ridicule. Some in our own families. Some at the workplace. Some in the neighborhood. Some among your friendships. Ridicule for your passion for Jesus Christ. So, what does it look like and what should we do about it? If your Bibles are open, we're going to look at chapter 4, the first six verses. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who thought he was the comedian in the group, who was at his side, said, what are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their wall of stones. And I'm sure there was ho, 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 all around. Everybody thought he was so funny. Hear us, O God, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. Our Father, um, prepare our hearts for your instruction this morning. Lord, I pray that we might find comfort both in knowing that you know the way things are and you can help. I, I pray, Father, that you would grant us your strength of resolve. I pray, Father, that we would recognize the, the um, pathetic nature of ridicule for what it is. I pray, Lord, that we would not be unseated from our passion for Christ by the words that are spoken around us, by those who line up against us. I pray, Father, that there would be a resoluteness in our hearts that uh, only comes from your strength. So uh, guide us in this text this morning, Father, to the things that you want us to know. And... uh, Lord, I pray that that we might be encouraged of heart, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, Might we find you bringing to us a loud message this morning of your care and compassion and concern for us and your power, Lord, to help. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Well, I want to plunge right in with some general observations about ridicule, and then at the end of our time together, I want to talk about what to do about it from the text. There are six observations I want to make about ridicule this morning with you, and um, the first is this: as I as I look at verse one, I'm I'm looking here and I'm saying, "What's why is Sanballat so bent out of shape? I mean, so what? The, the Jews are going to build a little bit of of." Um, uh, you know, a a little bit of um, a wall around the city, big deal and all of that. Why is he so furious and greatly incensed? And I think it's important for us to know this, that the first instinct of most people to change is criticism. And then the second, of course, is resistance. Prepare for it. Sanballat liked the way things were in Jerusalem. He liked the fact that it was a broken down... uh, backwater town now that it was of virtually no consequence he liked the idea that that uh, it was predictable he knew how things were everybody knew how it worked in the region now if if this wall was going to go up and the doors were going to be put back on and all of that this is a serious change going on and if serious change took place it the basis of a spiritual walkabout, there was, there, there was necessarily suspicion on what that change would exactly entail in his life, in the lives of other people. It's the same for us. You, you, you embark upon this spiritual walkabout in your family and, and, and breathe out the possibilities that, that there's going to be some changes around here. Well, there's going to be some people who are going to get very nervous about that. Because our natural instinct is we don't want to change. I mean, we all want to lose weight, but we don't want to diet. We all want to be healthy, but we don't want to exercise. Easy, big guy. We all want to follow Jesus as long as we can do everything else we want. And we want to grow without change or cost. And so the text says here he was angry. In fact, greatly incensed is another way of saying furious. Why? Well, fundamentally, people fear the unfamiliar. And he was pretty certain that if the welfare of the sons of Israel was about to change then the way he'd been padding the welfare for himself and others was also likely to change. There's always a cost to change. And maintaining is more convenient than mission. What's the cost of not changing? See, people are often looking for a church, looking for faith that, that promises much but asks little. We, we want a, a setting that, that is really going to be beneficial to us without really costing us very much. It's always the danger of a church our size. See, when you wander into a little church, they grab you the day you walk in. Our new organist just walked in. That's the way it works. But in a big church, you can suck the life out of all the services that are offered and give very little back. And sometimes we're hoping that Jesus is about low commitment Because maybe the church is low commitment. And we've made Jesus so comfortable in some of our circles that he no longer resembles the Jesus of the Bible. We have conveniently made him in our own image instead of how he's presented himself. The Jesus that we've made is the Jesus who endorses all of our preferences But there's no longer any mission in our heart. And so Sanballat was furious about change. I noticed something else, and you probably noticed it. If you look down at verse 7, you'll notice that um, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod wait a second, we've just added another group of people. I find, uh, I'm sure you find in your life, is that critics find each other like stink on a skunk. And some of the stink is satanic. And I say some, not all. Is that not true? It seems like when, when we're seeking to live righteously for Christ, all of a sudden, Attacks are coming from every angle in our lives. It'd be okay if we were sort of dealing with one front, but then another one opens up and another one. And, And let me describe for you a little bit about what Nehemiah and his people were facing here. Sanballat was the representative governor of Samaria from the north. Tobiah of the Ammonites was representative from the east. The Arabs, of course, were representing the south. The only place he had to escape was out the Mediterranean. It was still open until the Ashdodites got involved. Imagine that. The Ashdodites, you guessed, come from the west. And so now he's hemmed in, in every direction. Now, this is history playing itself out in reality, but in fact there's a incredible metaphor of our own lives. It just seems like when things start to really unravel or when we're really seeking to live after the heart of God that we get surrounded in every direction. When God turns up the fire of your heart, the thermostat On the opposition meter goes off the dial. Now we all know, living in this New Testament context, that the battle regularly goes beyond the visible. We may have real flesh and blood chirping in our ears and causing hassle all over the place, but we all know that we don't fight really with flesh and blood. We wrestle with principalities and powers in high places, the darkness of this evil world. But you need to know, especially when it's in opposition to the great things of God, but you need to know that certainly not all of the trouble that comes our way is satanic. In fact... I don't know mathematically, but I would say 99.999% of all the trouble that happens in my life is because of me. My own sinful nature. But there's an element of satanic attack as well. And there are times in our lives when we look around ourselves and examine our hearts and say before God, I really believe that I'm living a life that's that's sincere and honest and truthful before you. And and so maybe it's because of the hell-rattling righteousness in our lives that Satan's opposing us. Certainly in this context, they were doing the right things. And they were up against it. So if you feel like you're getting it from every direction, you probably are. There's a third thing I notice. If the project threatens people's pleasure or power or position, you will have a fight on your hands. Again, I wonder, aside from change, beyond simply change, why are Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ashdodites, the Ammonites, the the army, the associates, the important people, the strong people, why are they all bent out of shape? If you are um, leading a mission in your family that is committed to Christ, and any of the reforms that you're proposing bump up against pleasure or power or position... You've got a fight on your hands. Let's look at Samballat for a second. He's the governor of Samaria. Tobiah's the governor of Ammon. There was no governor until Nehemiah showed up in Jerusalem. These guys were starting to expropriate the Holy Land. There was a lot of power at stake here. Not to mention the, the sheer economic value of this whole thing. If Jerusalem was sacked and irrelevant, the former trade routes of Egypt and Babylon in the north were now being diverted through Samaria, and the government, governor of Samaria, and the, and the governor of Ammon, and, and they were padding their national economies. If Jerusalem becomes a big player again in the economic reality of the, of, the er, of the area, then you guessed it. Samaria is going to be pushed back. Ammon's going to be pushed back. The Arabs from Saudi Arabia are going to be pushed back. The Ashdodites are going to be pushed back to the sea. And Palestine's going to come back on the scene. And the economy... Uh, was enjoying uh, relief from the law of God. They were doing seven-day-a-week shopping around there now. But if uh, Jerusalem comes back by reform to the things of God, Saturday shopping is off the map. And if, um, if Jerusalem starts to... to um, please the living God by its reform. The economic blessings that had been diverted to Samaria and Ammon and the Arabs and the Ashdodites was going to be back in Jerusalem. As uh, God's people get serious about reform, God's blessings pour on those people. There'd be an economic shift of blessing in the region. That's why they're so furious. There's a lot of power at stake here. There's a lot of position at stake here. There's a lot of pleasure at stake here. Some of what is going on around us culturally and politically is a direct attack against Christian values. And there is a power, position, pleasure struggle going on every day around us. The agenda to impose upon our children and our own minds that every sexual expression is equal is an anti-Christian agenda. The um, so-called under the banner of multiculturalism, the idea that every religion is equal is an anti-Christian agenda. Because if every religion is finally deemed equal, then religion is meaningless. Understand that? And so... There's a lot of power, position, and pleasure at stake in reform. So in our own lives, some things formally benefiting economically from our spiritual sloppiness may need to radically shift. If we're going to get serious about God and reform, there may be a necessary change and investment strategies in our own lives. How much you or I have invested our hearts in things and activities that distract from God will determine how much resistance we're going to fight in our own hearts for position and power and pleasures that have embedded themselves in our hearts. Get ready for those on the sidelines, if you haven't already faced this, and I'm sure you have, to make fun of your newfound faith passion. I want to look at some of the, uh, the disparaging comments that are found in the text here. Because fourthly, people who have, a, have no sense of the size of God wrong size everything. I'm particularly interested in the comment that Sandballet seems to make. By the way, he's making it with all of the intimidation possible. He brings out the Samaritan army or the strong people, the bright people, the social movers and shakers, and they all stand around as he mocks the great things of God. And one of the interesting comments that he makes is, can they offer sacrifices? I agree with several commentators in understanding what he's really saying here. He's really saying, are you really entrusting your lives to the worship of God let me, let me run this by my mind and in front of all of these smart people and, and the army and all of these national leaders that are gathered around. We just, we just want to hear it one more time. Are you telling us that you think that by worshiping God, your life is going to be enriched? That's what you're telling us? You just um, believe in Jesus and he's going to fix your life? Is that, is that what you're telling us? You, you're believing in this invisible guy who apparently lived 2,000 years ago. Is, run that by on me again, standing by the water fountain at the office. Is, is you're putting all your hopes, you're putting, you're putting your family hopes in this invisible guy who died 2,000 years ago. Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're going to tell all these smart people in the office? And he makes another comment here, you know, um, are you going to finish in a day? Oh, is, is this, oh, run it by me again. This is the God, you say, who just spoke and the universe came into existence. Is that right? So, so what you're telling us is this is the God who's just going to poof and the wall's coming up in a day. Is that right? LOL. You're going to pray about it. Oh, no, no, don't tell me that. You've got a really big challenge in your life, and you're going to pray about it? That's, what that's your deal? Wow, you're really stupid, aren't you? And the whole idea of this kind of mockery is that so when the project of God in your life plows on longer and harder and more painfully than you thought, the voices about, oh, this God who should be able to help you like that, where's he? And your fired up enthusiasm at the front end starts to take a major hit and the voices keep working and working and working to the place where you're thinking well maybe God can't help me maybe I've put my hope in the wrong place each of us in here we know that there are people who used to be with us singing in the sanctuary beside us they started out with incredible enthusiasm At the front end for Jesus Christ and they've dropped off the map spiritually where did they go the voices beat them down God can't help God's a disappointment you say he could speak the universe into existence and he can't help you with your kid Where's this healing God? Why doesn't he just heal you? Eventually, the chirping gets very personal. Personally attacking God, I might add. This unholy chorus that keeps chirping in our ears... Finally, Tobiah, the comedian, remember, says, what with this building project? If even a fox stood on it, it would be knocked over. When God's will, his ways, or his work are mocked, you can count on there being divine repercussion in your favor, beloved. Now they're stepping. Now they're insulting the project of God if a fox stood on it. You know what the enemy wants to say to you? He wants to chirp in your heart you've already tried to live a consistent life in front of your family. You've brought them faithfully to church. You've sought to teach them to to love the Lord their God with all of their hearts. You've sought to already put put up distinctives in your family that that marked you out as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have sought to close down doors, and you've done all of this work to, to keep the doors of open and easy avenues of the enemy away from your family. And one phone call from a nothing friend, and your kid is gone. All it takes is a little fox to step on your wall and it'll come tumbling down. And we lay on our beds and toss and turn. Wondering where our great and powerful God is. At this moment now, I need him. You evangelicals and your Jesus stories are inferior intellectually. They won't stand up. You send your little seven-year-old to school and that's what the teacher's going to say. Your plan is destined to fail. But all I can say is, watch out, opposition. Watch out when you start mocking the living God, his ways and his will. There will be repercussions. Finally, the the last observation here is very cutting. What are those feeble Jews doing? And what are they doing with those useless, retread, burned-out rocks? Most criticism, by the way, should just be ignored. Or better yet, retweeted to heaven. You know what? They love to throw that one at us. You're so weak. You're so inferior. You're so useless. You're so broken. You've never been good at anything. You've never accomplished anything in your life. They love to throw that kind of stuff at us. And all I can say is guilty. They are feeble Jews. They were working with burned out stones. That's who we are. Did we forget where we came from? Who we are? Apostle Paul certainly reminded the Corinthians who they were and who all of us are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written... Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Yes, that's who we are. We're not the big shakers who were surrounding all of the people chirping at them. No, we're not the, the ones with success stories. We're, we're the, the broken pots. We're the, we're the, the, the cracked vessels that, that The Lord God, by His amazing glory, determined to to place His glory in. We're not the strong ones. We're not the intellectual ones. And there's a good reason for that. God has chosen those who will remember who they are and where they've come from. That they might boast in any accomplishment in the Lord alone. If this wall goes up, believe me, it won't because of the feeble Jews and their ruined, ruined rocks. It'll be because of the living God and his strength and power and resolve to work through people who trust him, believe in him. We are used and beaten up and least likely to succeed. But we are the building materials that Christ has chosen to work through. So what to do? I'll tell you, when I got to verse 4, I was really excited. This is the kind of lingo that's right up my alley. Look at it. Oh, hear us, O oh our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from the sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. I'm like, yeah, that's my kind of talk. I felt like the Quaker for a moment. You know the story of the Quaker and the stubborn mule? You ever heard that story? It's a good one. this Quaker farmer. He has a stubborn mule. And he says to his mule, Thou knowest that I am a Quaker. Thou knowest because I am a Quaker, I cannot curse thee. Thou knowest that I cannot beat thee. But what thou does not knowest is that I have a neighbor in a farm just down the road who is not a Quaker. And I could sell thee to him, and he could beat the living daylights out of you. Don't you just want sometimes to just sick God on people? In my dark moments, no, in almost every moment I get like that. (laughs) So I kind of loved this. I thought, this is the deal? Listen, let's not miss the point here, because this is an Old Testament, what we call imprecatory prayer. What are we to do with imprecatory prayers from the Old Testament that call down fire and brimstone of God to beat upon our enemies, which is what we long to do? Well, you know, most New Testament commentators are going to say, you can't do that now, because we're in the New Testament, and you're supposed to love your enemies and do good to those who despise you deceitfully use you it's not my favorite verse but it's one that you know is there we have to use so thinking how do you harmonize this stuff i like what j.i. parker has said he said this stuff can be harmonized this imprecatory stuff versus and and the old or the new testament We're, we're not called upon to throw out all of the judgment that should rightly come upon people who are despising the things of god but here's the hybrid that I think works for those in the New Testament community who have now know what it is to have the Prince of Peace living within us. We pray that God will either save them or judge them out of the way. In other words, the harmony of this is, Lord God, be merciful to my enemies, but go ahead and judge those who are belligerently against you. I like the harmony of that. I think it brings some sort of understanding. And by the time we get to the book of Revelation, we realize that the judgment of God and the justice of God will be meted out to those who have stubbornly refused the grace of God. So we pray, Lord God, We long for your grace in the life of this opposer. Save them. But by all means, Lord God, bring justice to those who are opposing belligerently the things of God. And so we pray, and what happens? They kept building. They took it to God, let it all out on God, zeal for God and his will, and kept building. Don't let the critics grind the good work of God in your life to a halt. Don't quit. And prayer is the key. How did they keep working? How did they keep working with all of their hearts? They kept working with all of their hearts because they took it to God. It will erode your soul if you let it fester. You've got to take this to God. It seemed to backfire. In fact, it fired them up all the more it says they got together and started working and built the thing halfway up all around enclosed the first barrage in any reform commitment you make is toward your morale to seek to wear you down to wear your resolve to reform down to focus on your insecurities your fear of failure To erode your hope, to call your value into question, to alienate you. But Nehemiah heard the words of his ridiculers. But his consolation was that he heard, that he knew that God heard him. For the people worked with all of their heart. There's no greater blessing than to look out at a group of people passionately committed to God being attacked and worn down in every direction who stand forth and say in song and in declaration we will work for God no matter what. Because they're all in. Their hearts are all in. Our Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to withstand the barrage and be all in because you are a great and mighty God and we love you and we want to serve you. So please help us in the midst of opposition to do just that in Jesus' name. Amen. I know Pastor Steve is the projector part of those recycled rocks that uh, we get to work with. Listen, the living God who is sovereign over all things allows ridicule to come our way, to check our hearts, to check our resolve, to see if we really have the fire of Jesus in us or if we're just a flash in the pan. Because this journey of reform is the journey of your life. And Jesus Christ is an all-in prospect. He's all in for you. And in return, the blessings and the spoils go to those who are all in for him. Father, I pray this morning that you would encourage us individually, as we have our individual stories, challenges of opposition and ridicule and obstacles in the way of the good things of God, May they not wear us down. May we turn all of the ridicule back to you, Lord, and give it all to you. You hear us. And you care about us. And we will build to the glory of God. For Jesus' sake, amen.